Hello, and thank you for joining us on the Chess Journal podcast. Today, we are going to discuss the point-to-counterpoint published in the January issue of Chess on whether screening for COP can improve outcomes. We are joined by Dr. Barbara Yan and Dr. David Menino, the authors of those articles. Dr. Yan is an adjunct professor in the Department of Family and Community Health at the University of Minnesota and the Chief Science Officer of the COPD Foundation. She is an investigator in the NHLBI-funded CAPTURE study, assessing the performance, characteristics, and effectiveness of a COPD screening tool used in primary care practices. Dr. Menino is a professor of medicine at the University of Kentucky and a U.S. medical expert at GlaxoSmithKline. He is also an investigator for the CAPTURE study. And I am Dr. Gretchen Winter, an assistant professor at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and your Chess Journal podcast host. So let's jump into a discussion of these articles. Currently, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force recommends against screening adults for COPD if they're asymptomatic, based on the lack of data that screening individuals will improve their outcomes. Interestingly, Dr. Yan, you mentioned that individuals who are screened by their primary care providers using tools to identify chronic or recurrent respiratory symptoms have a fourfold increase in COPD diagnosis. Can you please touch on why this is important and how it can affect patient care? Yes, thank you very much. It's important because patients frequently don't come in and tell us about their symptoms. And so we assume they are asymptomatic and therefore they don't get evaluated for any of their respiratory problems. And by screening the patient and asking them important detailed questions, not just is your breathing fine, but are you having trouble? Are there fewer activities? Do you have more problems going upstairs or walking on the level? Uh, those kinds of things can make a huge difference in our recognition as clinicians that this patient actually has respiratory symptoms and can then lead us on into appropriate evaluation and management. Excellent. And what are the limitations of the commonly used screening questionnaires? Well, several of those have been developed uh, by just a group of experts sitting around and saying, well, gee, what's important? And we frequently have a focus on age and on smoking. And so many of the questions, if you're older and you've ever smoked, you fail the questionnaire almost automatically. They haven't really delved into uh, the questions about symptoms and about exacerbations, which obviously aren't called exacerbations until after you have a diagnosis, but the recurrent acute bronchitis, the bad colds, things like that. So the limitation primarily is that it just doesn't address identifying symptomatic patients adequately. Dr. Yan, you brought up the excellent point that screening would be most helpful in identifying symptomatic people so that they could be treated. But you mentioned that patients often do not report respiratory symptoms to their healthcare providers spontaneously. Why do you think that is? Well, I think patients don't sometimes recognize their symptoms. They can come on somewhat insidiously over several years. And as you get older, well, no, I'm not really having 
problems, I'm just getting older, or I'm out of shape, and that's why I can't breathe easily, or I'm overweight. Uh, and so they look at all those things and sort of make excuses from themselves. I'm sure there's also the factor that if someone has been a long-time smoker, they may not want to admit to themselves or anyone else that the smoking could be problematic for their health. So I think it's a matter of just denial in some people and other people failure to recognize. And then, of course, there's the problem that we as clinicians don't ask good questions. And so we say, well, is your breathing fine? You're having any trouble? Oh, no. Then it must not be important. So the patients don't go on and tell us any more details. You also discussed in the article how often the discovery of respiratory symptoms does not prompt appropriate follow-up with diagnostic testing for COPD. How can we address that to make screening questionnaires more effective in actually obtaining diagnoses? I think that that is going to require something of what everybody calls the paradigm shift, but thinking change and thinking realization, especially among primary care physicians and other clinicians, that patients with respiratory symptoms really do deserve further evaluation because we have something to offer them. I think there is still that feeling that, well, you know, you get COPD diagnosis and I just can't do much to help you. It's just going to progress and you're going to get more short of breath, be disabled, and then you're going to die from it. Uh, I think we need to really recognize that we do have things to offer these patients. We can lower their exacerbations. We can improve their quality of life. We can improve their ability, their functional status uh, with things like medications and pulmonary rehabilitation. So I think we're really just going to have to help everyone understand it is worth it to the patients, we have things to offer. Now, Dr. Menino, in your counterpoint, you discussed some of the limitations of screening for COPD with spirometry. Can you discuss those a little? Uh, sure, uh, happy to. Uh, well, well, first, uh, uh, spirometry, uh, although it's a relatively easy test for uh, for experienced people, you know, pulmonologists uh, and, and respiratory uh, uh, techs to do, and doesn't take a, a great deal of time to do. Uh, when one tries to push this out into primary care offices, uh, it becomes much more more difficult to do, particularly uh, when one looks at uh, at the quality of of how these are done. Uh, so, so that is is one of the the challenges that that we face. Uh, another challenge is that spirometric changes occur relatively late in the course of disease. That uh, you know that by by the time you start seeing uh, abnormal spirometry, uh, people have already lost a, a significant amount of. Uh, of, of lung function, or, or a lot of uh, damage has already been done. You know, so I, I would um, you know, say that you know, if we were inter- intervening at, at that point uh, in the disease process, a lot of damage has already been done. 
You also discuss how screening for COPD would not change outcomes in the sense of mortality or long-term lung function decline. I'm interested to know your thoughts on Dr. Yan's argument that it could identify symptomatic patients who could receive treatment targeted at symptomatic improvement rather than mortality. Well, again, and I think this is another sort of you know, interesting uh, you know, concept because if one looks, for example, at what the, um, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force has said, uh, and they focus on asymptomatic uh, patients, so really don't talk about uh, the role of any type of screening uh, in symptomatic patients. Uh, now, of course, the and one of the counter arguments to that is that respiratory symptoms are incredibly uh, common. A lot of the things that Dr. Yawn uh, had mentioned, such as uh, uh, obesity, uh, deconditioning, all uh, can also increase respiratory symptoms, as can comorbid diseases such as heart failure uh, and and the like. So. Uh, but but the other, uh, if one looks at the, the rationale behind, you know, what the uh, U.S. Preventive Services Task Force has said, uh, uh, and it, it basically boils down to a couple of arguments. One is that uh, the only uh, intervention, you know, that has been proven to decrease uh, mortality in COPD is is uh, a tobacco treatment or smoking cessation, and and there's no evidence that spirometry uh, or knowledge of early respiratory disease or of, of spirometric abnormality increases the rate of, of smoking cessation amongst people who are current smokers. And then, you know, sort of the corollary is that everybody should stop smoking. And if, and if, and if there's no you know, evidence that, that, that this knowledge uh, increases, uh, you know, that rate, then, then why do it? Um, so, so that, you know, and that's sort of one of the, uh, you know, arguments behind that in, in terms of looking at, uh, you know, long-term outcomes of, uh, of CUPD. Now, that being said, uh, uh, you know, and, I, and I do uh, acknowledge that many patients have symptoms uh, that could well be related to CUPD, and there are, in fact, you know, multiple you know, interventions out there that have the potential to uh, decrease that symptomatology. Uh, but whether that then translates into improved uh, long-term outcomes uh, is really not clear. Thank you. Now, Dr. Menino, in your rebuttal, you discussed that a screening tool for symptoms would diagnose only symptoms and not the disease of COPD. And given the many different causes of respiratory symptoms, it's unclear whether treating patients who screen positive for symptoms would improve those symptoms. What are your thoughts on using a symptom screening questionnaire to identify symptomatic patients who then may undergo spirometry to diagnose cases of COPD who could then hopefully benefit from specific COPD treatment? Look, in that question, uh, you have nicely described the, you know, the, uh, the basically the underlying hypothesis behind the CAPTURE study, you know, which is, is to develop a, a, a screening or a tool uh, that, that really didn't focus either on, on age or extensive smoking history that then would you know, identify people that might benefit from a um, uh, from at least a, a spirometric determination, and then uh, potentially other interventions uh, that that look at uh, at CU, uh, the potential for having COPD and responding to COPD uh, interventions. 
So, so that's something that, that I, I, I obviously support since I'm one of the co-investigators on, on that project. But to get back to the question is, you know, you know does this sort of fund, will this fundamentally change outcomes in CUPD? And, and I, I still don't think that's quite the case because we're, I, I think these interventions are occurring uh, too late in the disease process. And one of the analogies that I made in my counterpoint, uh, you know, relates to uh, the advancements that we've made in cardiovascular disease. You know, for example, we know that, you know, one of the cardinal symptoms of a person having an acute myocardial infarction um, is chest pain. And we can come up with better questionnaires to identify cardiac chest pain uh, and apply those to patients, but that doesn't necessarily uh, you know, mean that or, or that, that really has not historically translated into better, you know, you know, outcomes. And the reason we have improved outcomes in cardiovascular disease is uh, is to come up with better markers of, of early disease. You know, we have, for example, tools such as biomarkers, such as uh, you know, different cholesterol measures or, or troponin levels. You know, that allow us to identify not only uh, you know early disease of people who are at risk. Uh, or, or greater increased risk for developing disease, and then targeting those people with with other uh, interventions, and, and that's how we've changed uh, outcomes in cardiovascular disease. Now, Dr. Yan, Dr. Menino just discussed his analogy of cardiovascular disease to COPD. Do you want to give our listeners a brief overview of your analogy to depression? Well, yes, I do, because I think that. Uh, screening and outcomes are you know, two concepts that many people have many different definitions. If we wait for mortality to be the only outcome that's important, I think we're missing some huge opportunities to improve patients' lives and their families' lives. In depression, for example, we now regularly screen for depression. In fact, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force recommends that in primary care we screen once a year for depression in adults and now in adolescents. Because it is symptom-based screening, we don't necessarily improve the outcomes. We haven't been able to show, for example, that we improve the suicide rate, not the rate of attempted, but the rate of completed suicide, which is comparable to mortality. But we do know that we've made a huge difference to people's lives for their ability to continue functioning as members of society, working potentially part of their family, uh, and living uh, a life that they choose. So to me, it is very similar to think about symptomatic screening in COPD and symptomatic screening in depression. And I agree with Dr. Menino. I would love to have biomarkers that would tell us about earlier COPD, and then we'd be able to change the course of COPD. But I don't see those coming soon, and I'm not willing to wait for those to say, well, let's just ignore the fact we could help potentially all of these people and improve their lives. Thank you. Now, Dr. Yan, do you have any closing thoughts on this topic? Well, I think 
both Dr. Menino and I agree, we would love to be able to have something that help us identify people and modify uh, the course of COPD. But I think we probably also both agree that it's very interesting to see if we can use a tool like the capture tool to identify people with symptoms, and then are we improving the outcomes, such as fewer exacerbations, fewer hospitalizations, uh, and improved quality of life. Thank you. And Dr. Menino, is there anything you'd like our listeners to know before signing off? Um, sure. Well, firstly, I'd like to say uh, thank you for doing this. I think this was a, uh, uh, I, I appreciated greatly the, uh, the invitation to, to really explore uh, you know, both the, you know, the points and counterpoints in, in what is a, a very sort of interesting uh, problem. And, uh, and if it was not apparent, both Dr. Yawn and I had been working on this you know, problem for, for many years now. I was going back at least 10 or 15 years. Uh, and, and we all, and we all, and, and, and part of the, the capture team that actually uh, includes uh, uh, multiple researchers uh, has really been, you know, trying to better get a handle on on earlier diagnosis of CUP. I think we all acknowledge that this is an, an intermediate sort of. Um, you know, path to get to where we ultimately, you know, want, because ultimately uh, we, we would really like to get to uh, earlier disease diagnosis and, and truly better uh, you know, interventions and, and better outcomes, uh, you know, to really to, you know, to replicate the success that has been seen in cardiovascular disease and COPD. And, and I think there, and there are some hope that we can get there. For example, the uh, COPD gene project uh, just recently uh, published a, a paper that really um, has the potential to sort of shake up how we think about COPD. You know, because traditionally, you know, and we thought about COPD uh, in terms of exposures and. Uh, and then defined by lung function impairment, but this is also now sort of you know, taking a, a broader uh, a viewpoint that is looking at, at at radiographic abnormalities and and a finer view of symptoms, and even sort of expanding you know, what spirometrically uh, can be considered a COPD. Uh, and, and it's the hope that you know, as we sort of expand this, you know, the playing field, that this will give us uh, you know, better options to find earlier disease. And then to to get to what you know, both Dr. Yon and I uh, want to, which are 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 effective interventions uh, earlier in the disease to truly modify uh, outcomes in our patients with chronic respiratory disease. Well, I'd like to thank both of you for sharing your time and expertise with us today on the Chest Journal podcast, and we thank our listeners for joining us. Till next time. <laughs>